Hey everyone, welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. My name is Andrew Beam. And I'm Corey Dempsey. Doing another intro for another couple of episodes, or a two-parter I guess we should say. Much like we did for the top five songs in uh, hip-hop of, in, in 1994, we're going to do it again. But ex- this time we're going to go back a few years and we're going to do the top five songs from 1988 in hip-hop but what hasn't changed is we're going to be joined again by mr steve tyson also known as elect isn't that right Corey? yeah so when we decided to do a follow-up to the 94 episode we asked steve what year he wanted to do in 98 or 1988 was his choice just kind of immediately so we decided to go back and listen back to all these albums and in this episode we're going to talk about why 1988 was so important and we're going to start doing our list in total in this episode we're going to talk about three different songs there was some overlap in steve and i's list and then next week we'll kind of finish that out and do the rest so check back in next week and uh, the other exciting thing is this saturday uh, Steve's new record, Intellectual Property, is going to be out, so you can check it out on Spotify and Tidal and Bandcamp and all of those places that you get your music. Yeah, it's super exciting. He played some snippet for, snippets for us when we did the recording for the uh, 94 Hip Hop uh, two-parter, and uh, yeah, so definitely looking forward to the release of that. I mean, essentially, this is, this is basically Steve Tyson month in a way, um, since we're just doing about a month of Steve Tyson here uh well episodes featuring steve tyson and just so happens he's got an album coming out so we're super excited i gotta say i know that i enjoy the exploration of this because i think 88 might have been my favorite over 94 but anyways we'll get into also what the next year we're going to cover after this so these have been some really fun series but hopefully you guys enjoy the episode and uh yeah we'll see you soon check back for the next uh next episode thanks Hello, welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I'm Corey Dempsey. And I am Andrew Beam. Uh, We're here today to do sort of the second installment of the hip-hop series that we're doing, and this time we're going to be covering the best of the 1988 hip-hop era, and we're joined again here with Steve Tyson. Steve, how you doing? How's it going, y'all? I'm good. How are y'all doing? Doing great, man. Um, Steve, before we get to 1988, you have a new album dropping on February 13th. Tell us about this record. Yeah, yeah, my album, Intellectual Property. I'm really excited about it. It's my first studio project. It's been a few years in the making, that's for sure. Uh, I started mentioning it for the first time publicly four years ago, uh, about four and a half years ago or so, um, when I was on Sway in the Morning. And, uh, you know, just been spending my time making the beats and writing these songs. And, you know, I'm very excited to put out this project. So, yeah, Intellectual Property comes out February 13th. That's awesome, man. Did you produce all the beats yourself on that? Yeah, yeah, I made all the beats. Uh, I also connected with some Philly artists who were able to add some, you know, this extra flavor to it. Uh, so shout out to my engineer, Phil Pierce. Uh, he was also able to connect me with a keyboardist named Jeff Smith. Uh, homie Vince Anthony is always down to come through and just, you know, offer insight and support. And so he's able to drop some bass lines on some stuff. I've worked with Vince before. Uh, he's featured on my song Rittenhouse as a featured singer and everything. So. 
yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's exciting. I also got uh, my lovely lady uh, Sarah Williams, uh, former opera singer, uh, current producer on uh, the classical arts. Uh, she's singing on the song Gold too. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, collaboration uh, as part of this project as well. So this episode's probably we're we're talking in Jan- or December right now, but. Yeah. Uh, this episode's probably going to come out in February sometime, probably February 10th. So, you know, when you're able to hear this episode, uh, make sure that that weekend you go to Spotify, right, Steve? Absolutely. Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, it's going to be everywhere. You can even add it to your TikToks. If you're graduating, you know, there's a song called Degree, you'll be able to turn up and some you know, turn out to once we're able to travel again, there's a song called gold. You're able to hit the beach too. And just, you know, cruise out with, with the top down, you know? Yeah. It, 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 you know, there's a whole lot of vibe and a whole lot of different flavors on this album for sure. So yeah. Last time we hung out with you, you gave us a little sneak preview of a couple tracks and, you know, I won't say too much, but we're definitely excited to hear what you have to put out for us, man. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. That sounded <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Y'all appreciate it. Yeah, so last time we talked about 1994, that was my personal choice for my favorite year in hip-hop. And on that episode, we kind of teased at the end that we would be doing a follow-up with 1988. And Steve, 1988 was your choice. So why don't you tell us about that year, why it's so important, why it's your favorite, all that stuff, man. Well, I mean, 1988, for me, it was just... So hip hop as a culture is like maybe 15 years old at this point. So, um, you know, it was, it was the moment where it, like we were already getting into, and I say we, you know, as like, I'm just, you know, member of hip hop culture, even though I was only three years old in 1988, but nonetheless, like, you know, we were entering a space in the era where, you know, now we have, you know, major label placements and we have a bigger budget behind some of these projects and some of these, um, you know, ideas that artists were having that were able to set the foundation for um, really what we know and see as like, you know, hip hop within, you know, modern mainstream media as far as like bigger budget music videos or being able to, you know, embellish upon the stories and, you know, storytelling that is in songs um, visually in addition to just also having, you know, the space and place socially and culturally uh, in America to be able to have the platform to speak on things that ended up having a greater ripple effect where you have, you know, you know, artists like we're definitely going to talk about, like, you know, just as one example, um, you know, Easy E end up getting to the White House just within, you know, a few years of NUA's existence and stuff. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of, uh, and granted the context and stuff around that is wild, but the fact that he still ended up there nonetheless was a, was a big moment. But that's just one micro moment of just a variety of different things that, you know, the year 1988 was able to kickstart um, and, and able to set in motion for the upcoming years ahead as far as how hip hop culture was ultimately and is ultimately perceived uh, nationally and globally. Yeah, you know, I, I've i always said this and I've always felt this, you know, about my personal feelings is... 1994 is my favorite year, but 1988 is like the most capital I important year for hip hop. Mm, Yeah. And I feel like that's, I feel like for me, it comes in a couple different ways. I feel like production takes a huge leap forward in this year and you get a lot of people like Eric Sermon from EPMD 
kind of changing the way that hip hop production is. He's the first one to really take like a funk loop and just loop it through a whole song and just one continuous thing. And that influenced a lot of production afterwards, I feel like. And then this is also the year that you get Rakim, who he's might be the only one to ever like perfect the art of rapping. Um, (laughs) It's wild to think like listening to him, it's like, so this is this laid the groundwork of kind of what we're hearing now, or just like so many different hip hop artists that that you, you're going to hear in the future. They're going to yeah. take, take his style from that, like, and that's why like going through it for me, listening like he he was a standout for me. Like I oh man that that there's just something about it that made you just feel good listening. To yeah, him. I mean like as far as the technique of rapping, I don't think anyone who is a rapper can deny the influence that Rakim had. And that was also this year. So I feel like both in the production yep. and the rapping sense, just the, the musical art form took a huge leap forward in this year. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I, especially, you know, acknowledging Rakim and, uh, you know, as far as like you saying, like perfecting the art of uh, rapping. I mean, they're like, as far as like the skill and technique of rapping too, and in, in creating ways that, you know, other folks, you know, done. We're definitely going to get into a lot of those details, but I mean, there's, you know, the production, the the lyricism, the um, opportunity. Uh, I think even for women in rap in '88 was also really important. So, thinking about like you know, JJ Fad like say in uh, Supersonic or all the you know songs that MC Light was on and that she was able to you know not just be on and featured on, but also did in her own right. You know, a lot of representation and, and a lot of, again, opportunity that was also able to be had through, throughout 88. Yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of uh, ties us into the beer we chose for today's episode. <laughs> um, we chose a beer called Breaking Through Brick Walls. And as we were kind of talking about, this is sort of the year where hip hop kind of broke through. And Steve was mentioning this idea of opportunity within the genre and you know i think this beer is appropriate for that i would i would absolutely agree and then i just sort of think it's ironic to think about how i don't know if it if you would say it built up brick walls just because i know the lawsuits that led to <laughs> what occurred during this year <laughs> but <laughs> which yeah. like i read that and i was like because I, I, that was the first time i had known about um i forget what was the name of the case that like pretty much made the decision on how samples were being cleared and what have you or basically <laughs> made it more complicated i don't know steve do you well, know? I, I don't know the name of the, the law or like the legal thing that happened but i definitely know that um de la soul was uh crushed you know because of their samples of you know the turtle uh, whenever they you know use their music in uh three feet high and rising i think it was that album and you know just everything that's why you know y'all said like so like 88 was also a, a wild year too with the fact that like it not necessarily that it was like sampling without impunity but you know there was you know a lot of <laughs> again when you think about opportunity in another essence you know there's the opportunity in people you know being able to use and and manipulate uh records without um you know as much legal implication as you definitely have to go through now when it comes to sample clearance and stuff. And rightfully so, whenever you're using, you know, the artistic creations of other people. But, um, I mean, some of these, you know, legal things that have, you know, gone on as far as, 
whenever it comes to sampling are definitely some of it is like too far and beyond and then definitely also lends toward more of the record labels and their greed rather than even the artists who created the music in the first place so um yeah but i mean like it's definitely artists like de la soul and and then how you know the legal backlash against sampling impacted them definitely had an impact on artists like you know public enemy and uh, production crews like the Bomb Squad and, and, you know, their use of sampling and how they were able to create their sonic palette and, and how they had to find new ways of then adjusting to a lot of the legal things that were going on um, in, in counter to where hip-hop's creation was going, so, where creativity was going. And maybe we could say that we're, they've broken through walls or gone around them is maybe more <laughs> the way. So, <laughs> yeah, but anyways, and, sure. and who's it by again? So this is Breaking Through Brick Walls by Aurora Brewing Company, and they are out of King Ferry, New York. I think that's down south somewhere, right? I feel like I feel like all the good beer in New York is starting to be coming down south, but we're we're getting there up north here. So. Yeah, we got Fidens, Unified, Single Cut. You got Common Roots too. Common Roots which, is great. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do I mention the other one? Which the other one? Well, it's right down the street from me. Well, there's Rare Form. No, the other one doesn't even count. That's not good beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. shots fired. Anyway. All right. Anyway, let's get started here, fellas. So in terms of when the last one, we did a nice shout out for the Master P record. The ghetto is trying to kill me because the cover of that was one of the most absurd things we've ever seen. Very literal. Very literal. Um, The imagery was striking, but it was one of my favorite album covers that I've ever seen. So are there any acknowledgments either of you would like to give this time around? Any special shout outs before we get going? Um, Album cover wise? I mean, this is a bunch. I don't know if it has to be album cover wise, but just just anything. So I have one. The Salt and Pepper record is called Assault with a Deadly Peppa. And I thought that was a fantastic <laughs> album name. <laughs> it is a yeah, salt no, that, that with a deadly yeah. peppa. That's that's fantastic yep. stuff. Great great job, so, Salt yeah, and Peppa. Excellent wordplay. <laughs> really great. And, um Yeah, Steve, what do you got? No, I was gonna say about like album, like even album cover wise, like uh it takes a nation and millions to hold us back by public enemy. Uh, it's probably one of my favorites. The Great Adventures of Slick Rick, I think, is another uh, awesome album cover. NWA uh, like, is the most threatening album cover I maybe have ever seen. I think they. I think that was on purpose. Oh yeah, definitely on purpose. <laughs> my other one that I just wanted to shout out real quick, and Steve, I hope this doesn't step on your toes. We can cut this if it does end up stepping on your toes, but the beat DJ Jazzy Jeff did for "Time to Chill." That is the uh, most fun beat <laughs> that I maybe yeah, have that ever is, heard. That, that, that doesn't step on my toes for my top five all right. at all. I mean, I, I think that DJ Jazzy Jeff is such an underrated producer in hip-hop. His work with Will Smith is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, obviously, it's legendary shit. So, what do, you, what do you think did it? <laughs> was it just Fresh Prince of Bel Air and just him getting tossed out of the house by Uncle Phil each episode? Or <laughs> no, it was this is well before that. Right. I mean, not, I shouldn't say well before. It was only a year before Fresh Prince is so, but right. like a year or two before it. But like, I mean, they they were definitely doing their thing musically. I mean, but also you think about too, like 
I mean, even there, going back to, you know, Rakim and his presence, like their biggest hit was Will Kim, was Will Smith imitating Rakim uh, with Summertime. He's 100% imitating Rakim's flow. And it's, it's acknowledged as such that, you know, that, you know, that's exactly the lane he went with that song. And that's their biggest hit. So, yeah. So that's shout out to is. them. And also shout out but then back to Rakim at the same time, too. You know, with that, let's just get into the top five because I anticipate a robust discussion. I well, think that we'll get to. I actually kind of want to know who's like just doing the research for it for you guys on this. Like, what was it like kind of going back? Like, I know I know you throw it on every now and every now and again when we're in the car. But like, Steve, what was it like to kind of do this exploration as compared to, like, say, doing the 94 one? Oh, this is this is the this is the year and the music that really immersed me within hip hop culture without question. Like all of the artists, all of the music, all of the imagery. Because another album cover I also wanted to mention was um like I don't even think he's I couldn't hear the actually the album cover of the year it says so I don't know if it was Boogie Down Productions by all means necessary, but um that album cover is crazy. No, that's um, that's a great one. Yeah. But yeah, I mean so like this year though for me is is the year for me whenever it comes to who I am and why I am whenever it comes to hip hop and what laid the foundation for everything that I do musically, as well as, um, you was, know, just what I teach whenever it comes to teaching about hip hop. And the I was going to say, everything. I, I can hear you in a lot of this, like the, you know, <laughs> and I'm saying like your style, your flow, like a lot of it, I, I can definitely feel the influence that it's had on you and your, in your music. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And like, that's why I'm excited about this album too, um, coming out too, because I mean, even the first song is called old school, mm. uh, you know, it, for a reason. And, but yet at the same time, there's, you know, so many other tracks and, and uh, other styles that connect to today. But yeah, my foundation, even though I was born in 85, my foundation when it comes to uh, hip hop is 88. We unfortunately missed it. I missed it. I was born in 88. It just came out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was a year old. 88 for me, <laughs> represents like my education phase in hip hop. You know, I came into it later and then I went back and listened to all of these old records. And when I was kind of exploring that and listening to all these old records, I was amazed at the time by how I kept going back to all these classics and it's like 1988, 1988 and it kept <laughs> happening over and over again. And I was like, Oh, I guess this is a pretty important year. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think then let's go to our top five, Steve, and we're going to go back and forth as we did on the 1994 episode. We are going to play the songs on our end and you'll hear little snippets of elevator music that, theme has chosen for you and i i really like it it's, it's good stuff it's the baseline that gets me do you hear it it just kind of it's taking a little saunter around like everything else that's happening i i actually like really enjoy it i think it's i think it's great great stuff um so steve who do you you want me to kick it off you want to kick it off what do we want to do here uh i mean it's your show by all means kick it off all right my number five track and i'm gonna talk I'll talk about it afterwards. I don't want to give too much of an introduction, but my number five is Children's Story by Slick Rick. (laughs) So this is obviously just because of my lack of knowledge and just like 
it was a stupid moment, but when I first heard this song and it came on in the playlist that I got from both of you guys, because I got your guys' sort of pool that you drew from, I was like, what the fuck? Montel Jordan's on this list? How did this happen? And then I'm like, oh, right. It's, it's, it's what they do. <laughs> yeah, so with this song, you know, and Steve, please correct me if I'm wrong here, or... Give me a counterpoint, but I feel like Slick Rick is the godfather of the storytelling rap song. Such a good. Story. I mean, he, he's definitely the the you know the preeminent uh, like you know person when it comes to that for sure. Yeah, um, and yeah, Godfather be good. And this is also my top my, my number five song too. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yep. Just you weren't gonna say anything until now, I guess. Just <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a I had a couple thoughts with this. The first was that you know that Slick Rick is the godfather of the storytelling rap song, and you know Lottie mm-hmm. Dottie I think was the first one in 1985, the one that he did with Dougie Fresh, and then I think he I don't want to say perfected it, but then he took it to another level with this song, and I think. You know, there's kind of two parts to this for me. And the first part is the influence that Slick Rick had and the influence that Children's Story had. And mm-hmm. you have so many artists afterwards covering very directly this song. So Blackstar did it on their record. Um, mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg did it with G Bedtime Stories on his record. So there were the direct covers. And then there were, you know, people who took parts of his flow on this song and then incorporated in their own song. So like Jay-Z on 99 problems, you know, when he Mm -hmm. says once upon a time, not long ago. Mm. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that is directly from this song. And so Mm -hmm. you see slick Rick's direct influence in that way, but then he also influenced it with just the storytelling style. And that influenced then some of the greatest rap songs in history i think like ice cubes it was a good day and mm-hmm. you know yep. notorious big's it, i got a story to tell and well a lot mm-hmm. of notorious big songs but you know this storytelling style then just kept getting used over and over again and to great effect and it kind of all started with slick rick so i had yep. to include him in this absolutely yeah and no, I, I completely agree with you i think that you know, he's definitely, I think that this is uh, perfect storytelling, like, you know, an example of that, especially in like the, you know, early quote unquote, you know, eras of hip hop. Um, but even to like, you know, but yeah, yeah. Um, I almost went on a bit of a tangent there. So anyway. Um, we allow those. Come on. You've been on this before. <laughs> yeah. Nonetheless, though. Um, yeah. I, like, I, I think that, you know, the story that also is within this song is definitely still relevant today, too. Like you have, you know, this, this, that tale of, you know, a kid who's trying to figure his way through a bunch of bullshit that that the system and, you know, all the other layers of, you know, socioeconomic, you know, traps and pitfalls, um, cause for so many folks, you know, it's just, you know, the, the pattern and, and and a story in that, um, but yet that story is definitely still relevant in so many ways today. And then you talk about musically, you know, being relevant today too, like, you know, theme you're just talking about how like you know montel jordan this is how we do it we don't need to um, know, like i felt other... that wasn't fair to slick rick in this moment i mean i know like i mean <laughs> no, no this is how we do it as a jam is, this, this how do it classic no i that's i classic. agree i agree but like sorry i just it fell not, out of line for a second not shade that song, no. no i'm not gonna but, uh, shade that song. all right you know what I'm digging myself home. i'm gonna back right out <laughs> no, you're good, dude. 
<laughs> but nah, uh, but not, but also like you know, you know everything that you're talking about, Corey, with all the other uh, examples of reinterpretations of it and all. Like uh, even another recent example is um, with Nas and Kanye when Cop shot the kid, where it's you know even more of a direct use of the sample, and yet it, it, it highlights the relevancy of the same story. In I guess that was in 2018, but still nonetheless in in today's time. Um, and you know, even when it comes to samples too, you know, this has, uh, James Brown elements of that. And it also has Bob James Nautilus, uh, sampled in it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot within this song that, that, uh, you know, touches back to things that have existed before it, but also are still again, musically and story-wise relevant very much today. Yeah, for sure. And I, I picked out one line that I think it's, it's the ending of the song. And Slip, Slick Rick says, he dropped the gun and so went the glory. And this is the way I have to end this story. He was only 17 in a madman's dream. The cop shot the kid. I still hear him scream. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. Just another case about the wrong path. Yep. And it was uh, it's all those things that you were exactly saying. And, you know, that was the line that stood out to me. And it's made very clear in the song that he the kid dropped his gun and yet the cops still mm-hmm. shot him. And I, like you said, that's very, very relevant. And mm-hmm. this, the story still resonates now. Absolutely. So in turn- and it's like, and even like the, the, uh, the context in the beginning of the song too, where like, you know, it, it has these, you know, children, it's literally, it's called children's story. Yeah. So not only is it a story that he's telling to kids, cause they're asking, can you tell us a bedtime story? And this is the story that he's sharing, but then it's also the story of this child. The kid was 17. He's a child, both legally and just in the fact that he's a kid. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely children's story in two different contexts as well, too. It's, it's, it's an incredible, incredible, incredible song. Uh, so definitely top five for me wow, as so well. Love that piano. Like, it just, yeah, just kind of great... creeps throughout the song, and I love it. It's a great beat. Really great. <laughs> In terms of storytelling songs, like obviously this being sort of the jump off where a lot of people are influenced by, has anyone outdone it? Or do you think there is one that is better than it? Or is there the best one? In terms of like a really good sort of like the, out of the ones you guys just kind of mentioned, like, you know. I mean, I think that day, there's a top tier. There's definitely a top tier. And this is this is in that, if not a crown jewel in that, because it birthed and created, you know, and it inspired so many other stories. but. I would more say there's a top tier. And in that, you have examples like Corey mentioned with um, Notorious B.I.G.'s I Got a Story to Tell or um, Jay-Z's Meet the Parents, um, other, you know, top tier stories. Um, Nas, you know, and there's so many stories you can pull from Nas catalog. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, for sure. I think this might have to be a separate, separate episode. Top five storytelling yeah, tracks. Storytelling, yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I'd be down for that. I fucking love a good story. Yeah. I love a good story. <laughs> they are my favorite types of songs, the story rap songs. Um, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Before we go on to four, like, do we have a different one on this one, or what do you mean? Like, do we have different fours? Do we know? Should do you guys? I don't know. <laughs> I, no do you guys want Do you guys want to talk? We, uh, no, no, this is very in the moment. So Steve, that was, I I announced my number four, five. It happened to be the same as yours. So you go with your number four. All right. So, uh, I would say that my number four song of 1988 is NWA straight out of Compton. That's my number one. (laughs) Wait, you're just going (laughs) to reveal your number one right here. We said it. 
You're still on the internet. We still got a few more to go. You'd be like, it's in there. We'll get there. No, nah, I mean, that, that's my number one. Straight out of Compton is my number four just because it introduced like Compton, LA, reality rap to the rest of the world. Like, I mean, the rest of the world knows, or a lot of people know, reality rap is gangster rap. And that's because like the media and the news and everything like that. But, you know, like having like the story, like being able to express, you know, thinking also back around, you know, the story. You know, not only is just this song an introduction to, you know, the storytelling of Ice Cube, MC Ren, the DOC, but, you know, like it tells the story of so many other people who didn't have the opportunity to tell their stories. Um, you know, hip hop up until this point, and for a lot of it was, uh, you know, you, you were starting to get some of like the gritty, um, you know, reality and what was, what's happening in the East Coast in this same year and, and from a lot of East Coast artists. But whenever it comes to what was going on West Coast and coming out of the West Coast, uh, you know, this definitely uh, is, is, the song that introduced and opened the doors for everything and everybody that we have coming out of Compton and coming out of LA today. I mean, you know, this is Dr. Dre. So, you know, there'd be no Snoop, you know, there'd be no, and then the, the legacy of all that, there'd be no Kendrick Lamar. There'd be no Terrace Martin. There'd be no, you know, all of these folks have been inspired and, um, you know, influenced by this. I mean, this is definitely the, and, it, and it, this song could just as easily be my number one. So that's the thing about these top five also. Any one of these could be my number one. That's why it took me forever to figure out what my top five was up until five minutes before we started recording this. Which is, because it's like, you know, like, there yeah, when so you told many me that, reasons and, when you told me that I mean, last night, true. you were like, I, I, I don't, I don't have my top five yet. And I was just like, oh, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Good luck. And, and it, might, it might change tomorrow, but, yeah, but <laughs> as far as up until, us, the day of us recording this and how it's gone of my top five songs like you know straight out of Compton has to be in that you know there, there's there's you know there's so much that comes from it we're now gonna listen to you're again you guys are listening to elevator music but you're gonna like the elevator music it's nice elevator music but we're now <laughs> gonna listen to straight out of Compton Steve's number four and I mean yeah Corey's number one so there's that well I'm not just gonna let it sit there am I <laughs> I know. No, I started thinking about it because I was like, oh, yeah, Corey would essentially just have to stay silent throughout this entire discussion and then wait. But anyways, that makes no sense. Anyway, Steve's number four, Corey's number one, straight out of Compton by NWA. So, Steve, everything that you just mentioned about straight out of Compton, I'm totally on board with. I think for me, the reason why I chose it at number one is because I spent a lot of time thinking about NWA and their music in 2020, and specifically Mm -hmm. around the murder of George Floyd and all the Black Lives Matter protests. Mm -hmm. And I thought about all the controversy that existed with NWA's record, specifically around Fuck the Police. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when when I thought about that, just immediately made me very angry like NWA was that why don't we just listen to what they have to say instead of Tipper Gore trying to censor them instead of the FBI trying to shut them down? Why don't we listen to them as legitimate people with something to say who are reporting on this? So that that idea of reality rap that you mentioned is I think so prescient and I think so relevant today and that's that's why for me it just immediately came to mind as the best song of 1988, just because I spent so much time thinking about their music this year. Mm-hmm. That's that's a, that's a really good point, and I think that that also is the same point that informs my number one, 
so we'll get to that in a bit too. But yeah, it's still very relevant um, right now. It, it definitely addresses what we're still going through. Like, you know, have we listened to a lot of these folks back then and made actual change instead of fighting against? We talk about, you know, the legal fight that hip hop had uh, musically whenever it came to sampling, but it was also going through a lot of legal fights lyrically um, whenever it came to just what the stories were being, what stories are being told. And NWA was going through that fight, you know, because of, you know, the reality that they were expressing to Live Crew was going through that fight because of, you know, the, the, the reality that they were expressing, even though it was definitely in a different lane than NWA. Um, but nonetheless, it was still an honest and authentic reality for a lot of folks and sometimes an embellished reality, but a reality nonetheless. And, you know, there was legal and governmental backlash against that. And, you know, we have folks now, you know, going through so much social and, 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 and political and systemic oppression that it's like, you know, <laughs> like these songs are definitely still relevant today you know it, it could it could have been you know straight out of charlottesville or you know straight out of ferguson you know and that's what we all we, uh, we also see straight out of everything right now too i mean so there's so much influence of people wanting to also represent where they're from and you know that moment of putting themselves and their communities on the map um you know it it, it you know it, it definitely connects them. I mean fuck the police could have just been just as easily as this could have been but to also your point about introducing oneself and you know, putting oneself out there, you know, I think that that's why I ended up leaning towards straight out of cops and over fuck police. Exactly. And I, I think about those as kind of companion tracks, you know, first you have to get straight out of Compton. It's this group announcing themselves and then you get kind of their, their political statement once they've introduced who they are. It laid the foundation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think with two of those things. So we, we talked about this on the 1994 episode, this idea of MCs introducing themselves. We talked about it with Thuggish Ruggish Bone. We talked about it with Lady of Rage. We talked about kind of that trope. And I think this is the best example of that. And I think there's two things. So it's Dr. Dre. That's for certain. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And Dr. Dre opens the song with, you're about to witness the strength of street knowledge. He starts yep. it with this mission statement for the group. And then you get Ice Cube coming in, just boom, tearing the roof off with a crazy <laughs> motherfucker named Ice Cube. And, you know, then he he goes into his next line and talks about, you know, having a sawed off shotgun and the body's getting hauled off. And it's also threatening. And just that idea of just announcing yourself to the world in that way, it, it's it's great stuff. Yeah, I totally I, agree. I just think it's yeah. Sorry, I, mean, I mean, and 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 because I was hearing this on on both your lists because I know both fuck the police and straight out of Compton were were on yours, and I was like, it was one of those where I heard straight out of Compton. I'm hearing just kind of everyone doing their introductions where, it, and and that's the immediately what I thought was from that discussion of just being like, if I've ever heard one just like kind of <laughs> really making a statement, this is one of those songs. And then, like a few tracks later, it came on "Fuck the Police," and I'm like, "But what are they going to do about this one?" Because, like, that one just in a historical context, I feel like carries a ton of fucking weight too. I mean, so does Straight Outta Compton, yep. but "Fuck the Police" just, I mean, in terms of just sort of catching people's attention, I think took it a little further. And it's globally relevant right now too. I mean, look oh, at what yeah. the police are doing in Nigeria right now against you know just general citizens trying to protest and have their voice. So yeah, fuck police is, is very relevant internationally as well as time-wise. 
Yeah, and I just, I want to leave with one thing. It's a quote that Shea Serrano had. He wrote it in the rap yearbook, and I know I quote it a lot, but that's because Shea Serrano really knows what the fuck he's talking about. You're looking at me because you know I just, I'm aware of how much you love Shea Serrano. I think everyone's aware at this point. I've referenced him like four (laughs) times now. I think you guys need to get like a drink or have some dinner sometime. That would make my life. All right, go ahead. Say the quote. So he said, Straight Outta Compton was not the first gangster rap record, but it was the one that fully bent the trajectory towards reporting the dejection and desolation of the inner cities. And I think that's what makes NWA so important is that, and and gangster rap is a term that got put on it by other people. What, What Steve said up front, reality rap is far more accurate to what it actually is, but just reporting on what's happening in the world and just that idea of like why we, we need to listen to what these artists have to say. Well, it's fucking ridiculous too because I know just even from act, you know from being a reporter too and like hearing those stories and knowing those things and it's like you have these conversations with people outside of that realm that just read it and just read about stories like this in the news. You know what they're saying on the song like shit, this shit's happening, and but to other you know yeah. just to literally ignorant white folks that just like are only going to think like no this is just fantasy shit they're just saying this isn't true there's there's no way this is real and it's and it's yeah like like we're all just saying like it's that's still relevant today it's fucking ridiculous and the and thanks for the advent of like phone camera you know cameras on your phone now you're like no we have fucking evidence of this but it's still always the well how long is the video but either way it's it's weird to think where it's like like you guys are saying reality rap but to a lot of people too and in terms of the backlash it got it's because it's they think it's some sort of fantasy and it's that's the worst that's the tragedy of it yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of people are who want to ignore realities of people's existence and you know there are, there's always going to be that moving goalpost that oh well we didn't have video well how long is the video like, well, how long? exactly like, it's always going to be something it's fucking it's ridiculous but it's ridiculous and it's very unfortunate and sad and angering and all those things but it's all i can think of when i listen to that song too and it's it's as american as apple pie yep (sighs) it's sad stuff all right so i'll go to my number four steve i do anticipate this is gonna be on your list maybe maybe not i don't know we we have no idea what each other's lists are. We're <laughs> it almost feels like you should have talked because then maybe we could have just like you know this this almost felt like it could have been the collaborative one where you guys had to politic over what took what place. Mm. Uh, we we might well, do that on a future episode. I, I don't know. It's but, feeling like yeah. It. Um, so my number four is my philosophy by Boogie Ooh. Down Productions. Excellent choice. That is my top honorable mention. Top honorable mention. All right. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the most important song for me as a person when it comes to hip hop, hands down. It's my A number one hip hop song, my favorite hip hop song of all time for me personally. But when I have to think about songs of 1988 and the full on magnitude of everything, I can't just think about me. So it would be, if it were my Steve's personal one then yeah this would be my number one song this would be my a number one song okay so i think before we get into the discussion of that song i think we need to mention that twice now we have tried to open this beer breaking through brick walls and it has literally just been exploding on us every time we've either opened it poured it for ourselves it's been a mad scramble every time to make sure we're not getting it on the equipment. 
Yeah, it's a really delicious beer, but like, <laughs> there's something wrong with these cans. This is what we get for drinking at 10 a.m. in the morning. I don't know when other time 10 a.m. is, actually. Sorry, I don't know why I said that. Yeah. All right, anyways, uh, my philosophy, Boogie Down Productions. Yeah, so Steve, you mentioned that this is kind of the reason you started rapping. La, tell us about its influence yeah. on you. I, I mean, so I'm, I'm glad that you included it in your top five because I felt some type of way leaving it out of my top five. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this song, I mean, definitely shout out to my dad, Steve Sr. I mean, he, uh, is an educator, uh, and, and, uh, uh, painter and he, and he also, you know, paints and inspired a lot by a lot of different music. And so being three years old and, you know, MTV, Yo MTV Raps is coming into existence and, you know, he's sitting me on his knee and we're watching, um, music videos and, and you know, he's immersing me in different, you know, mixtapes that he's recording off radio shows and stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it inspired me so much because one, like I was born in the Bronx, but was growing up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania at the time. And so I'd always had this like narrative of like, you know, like, yeah, like, you know, we're from New York, you know, we were born in the Bronx, that and the other, like, but yet, you know, we're out here now and we're, we're, you know, out in this very white, very rural area of Pennsylvania. So it was like, it was always this, not necessarily, you know, to, to, uh, some extent but you know it's just like longing and and like you know this, this desire for connection to this place i was born but also the same place that birthed you know the culture that i was most connecting to at that time too there wasn't a lot of other kids that looked like me in johnstown and even wanting to you know be myself you know getting older you know get, getting into you know, elementary school middle school and um, before i moved out of there you know it was like you know a lot of things that i was into were always perceived as like you know Oh, that's bad. That's negative. That's this, that, and the other because it was hip hop or because it was black, really. But um, you know, this song was was the first thing that really helped me, you know, build the the the, the internal uh you know understanding of you know who I am and 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 count despite it and and counter to a lot of stuff that I was either hearing from the society around me or a lot of my teachers who were racist and messed up, you know, or or other kids who would say racist stuff because their parents were teaching them all types of things. So. This song, you know, my philosophy helped, you know, always keep kept me grounded and kept me connected to, you know, how I identified myself as far as the person. And then as I got into hip hop and, you know, as far as like an artist and a musician as myself, like, you know, I, it was, you know, interesting, like hearing how much of, you know, what I was rapping about or why I'm rapping in general uh, was based around, you know, this song and its message. And so, you know, it's like, you know, there's so many lyrics and, 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 um, you know, messages that are within it that are so relevant to not just myself growing up and myself just as a black man in America, but um, also just to, you know, seeing myself in hip hop and also using it as that, that shield and, and that, that armor um, whenever I was going through a lot. You guys you know, it too. So, yeah, it's almost critical for me personally. Sure, you don't want to put on your top five? Like, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's the most honorable of mentions anyone, any one song could get. That's why. It's, Fair the enough. king of my honorable mentions. Fair enough. So I, I have a few lyrics that I picked out, but now I'm kind of curious, you know, what what are some of the, the lines that stand out to you when you when you say that about inspiring you? Oh, I mean, well, I mean, the first one you could probably think about is like, I'm not white or red or black, I'm brown mm. from the boogie down. Uh, because, you know, you know, one, yeah, I'm, I'm a brown guy from boogie down Bronx, but also like it's beyond just like, you know, 
like, yes, I'm definitely a black man, but, you know, I'm also multicultural too. And so I always felt like that, you know, representation, you know, being black, being Puerto Rican, being, you know, having Dominican heritage and also having um, significant Irish heritage too. Um, And so it's just a lot of um, mix and, and connection. And so, you know, that, that line being three, four, five years old, being stuck in my head and using that, you know, going into school, you know, facing bullies or just dealing with bullshit, you know, was really critical for me. But that's the first line. I, but there's so there's so many in there. You're absolutely right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the ones that I always uh, really liked and the one that stood out to me is some MCs be talking and talking, trying to show how black people are walking. But I don't think this way to portray or reinforce stereotypes of today, like all my brother yep. eat chicken and watermelon, talk broken English and drug selling. And I like that he took the time to kind of just go and break down some of those stereotypes that exist and, you know, things that I'm sure you had to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I like those lyrics a lot, too. I think that there's it connects to, yeah, some of my experiences, definitely, um, you know, their experiences in general. I think that overall, it just it, it's such a the, the song in itself. It's, it's you know, we, we we talked about like straight out of Compton being an introduction. And even though. uh you know, KRS-One had been on the scene for a little bit and BDP had been on the scene for a little bit. You know, this is definitely the, the introduction of who we know of as KRS-One today, for sure. I mean, because he's also, you know, critiquing modern or current hip-hop at that time um, in itself, too. He's like, you know, exactly like you said, like talking broken English jokes, but also like, see, I'm telling the teacher pure facts the way some acting rap is kind of whack, like, it lacks creativity and intelligence, but they don't care because the company's selling it. So relevant to right now. Um, you know, we've seen so many videos of rappers, you know, ascent, like literally dancing on tables in boardrooms of record companies to get contracts and stuff. And it's just like, you know, the fact that 20 some odd years later, you know, 30 some odd years later, you know, people still are tap dancing for, you know, record contracts because, you know, the, 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 it's what companies know will sell or things like that. It's it just, you know, it, it definitely connects and, and stretches through time. And I also like the fact that he, he references, you know, in the song too, you know, just also eating right. And, you know, we, we, this is well before the, the, the push and the boom of vegetarianism and veganism and things of that nature. And he's in the track talking about, like, here at first from an intelligent brown man, a vegetarian, no goat or ham or chicken, or turkey, or hamburger, because to me, that's suicide, self-murder. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, it, it, it's so ahead of its time, um, but yet so, it's like, in the 80s, and also still so relevant right now. I yeah, love the song. for sure. And I, I, you know, I picked out this one quote that I was reading on Golden Age, or Hip Hop Golden Age, and it said, if hip hop were politics, KRS-One would be president. And <laughs> I, I immediately picked that out and I was like, yep, that sounds about right. Because when you think about his place in hip hop, he is kind of the ultimate teacher, the ultimate politician, like all that political rap, like Tupac doesn't exist without KRS-One. Kendrick Mm -hmm. Lamar doesn't exist without Tupac, so he doesn't exist without KRS-One either. He set the stage for all of those that came after him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and And myself included. I mean, not not just as an MC and in the message and in, in the music and everything like that, but also everything I do for hip hop culture when it comes to just teaching kids and and youth about the history of hip hop and and it's and what and the teenagers that created it 
and how it got around the world and how it's used in so many political movements and social movements and um, musical movements, you know, that have been like happening in so many different countries and cultures. And, um, you know, whether you're in, you know, sixth grade or you're in college, like, you know, there's, you know, so much information that folks need to know whenever it comes to hip hop and hip hop culture. Um, in addition to just adults and everybody who's, you know, already in existence and knowing about hip hop and not knowing about its true roots. And, um, that's all inspired because of this song and because of folks like KRS One who, even today are doing lectures at universities and doing their own lectures within the temple of hip hop and, and in, which is one of um, his organizations um, just to continue to, to impart wisdom and knowledge and understanding about the roots of culture and peace, unity, love, having fun, you know, and, and, and its expression through all the elements of hip hop culture. And, you know, the most important one being the knowledge, uh, you know, and this is coming directly from the teacher. So yeah, I agree with you hundred percent.